You're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. This week, we continued our worship series. Guest speaker Abby Pease brought us a great message titled Intimacy and Communion. Let's check it out. Good morning, Word of Life Church. It is so exciting to be here with you guys. Can we just uh, give it up for the worship team really quick? I don't think you know, I'm a worship leader, and the the practice that goes into what they do, what, even if you just saw like a four-minute song, man, they've been praying for you. They have been stewarding the gifts that the Lord's given them, and so there's more that goes into what you see up here. It's all the behind-the-scenes stuff. And um, I just want to honor your pastors really quick. Um, I got the opportunity to be pastored and work with Pastor Tom on staff back in New Jersey. Um, They are the best people I know. In fact, there are 10 people in the front rows right here that you can't see online. Um, They didn't come because they're my friends. They wanted to hear me preach. They came because they're obsessed with Tom and Megan. And there's a ton of people in New Jersey who would fight you to be here today. Um, There's a big uh, woody side hole in New Jersey. We miss you guys so much. And it's such an honor to be here and see the incredible church that they're a part of, man. You guys are so kind. Like four people just prayed with me backstage. (laughs) Like everywhere I walked, can I pray with you? I'm like, please, please pray with me. Um, and that's a reflection of your leadership. So Pastor Tom, Pastor Megan, we love you. Come on, church. Can you clap for your pastors? They're amazing. Truly, I am the fruit of your pastoring. These people are the fruit of what you've done for us in New Jersey. So we love you. We honor you. It is so cool to be up here. It is cold, y'all. It is really cold. I'm not going to talk about the Eagles. Maybe we'll see you guys in the Super Bowl. But go birds, but maybe go Bills. I can be a Bills fan today. Um, I just love that your pastors and your leadership chose to begin the year talking about worship, right? And what worship really is, because the world has shown us a lot of what uh, worship is not, unfortunately. I was studying in Isaiah last week, and um, I don't know about you, but these Israelites really got me seeing who I am. A lot of the time, I get so annoyed when I'm reading about Israel because I'm like, dude, they can't make up their minds. Like one day they're doing this, the next day they're for the Lord. They keep flip-flopping back and forth until I realize, oh, I'm Israel. It's me. Like, look at yourself, Abby. In the beginning of Isaiah, we see the nation of Israel, as per usual, living however it is they want to live. And I mean like really doing whatever they want. It's pretty bad. Um, They still act the part though. They're still giving sacrifices. They're still having church services. In our terms, they're still serving on the weekends. They're still saying yes on PCO. They're still doing their devos. They're still checking off their boxes and none of this necessarily is bad. These are good things for us to do, but it's not good when our worship becomes about blind obligation and not about relationship. When we forget why we fell in love with Jesus in the first place, our worship quickly becomes about us and what we can get out of it. Worship is not about us, amen? Thank God. The Lord was tired of Israel's empty worship. He even calls them rulers of Sodom and people of Gomorrah. Yikes. It's a bad time. Uh, He says in chapter 1, Isaiah 1, verse 11, I'm sorry, it's really early to hear this first thing in the morning. It's that kind of morning, guys. Buckle up. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? The trampling of my courts. Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. 
New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all of my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Israel's worship was empty and self-serving, and it had become a burden to the Lord. That stopped me in my tracks. Immediately, I started thinking, my God, how much of my worship has become empty and self-serving? And a burden to the Lord. When did I lose my intimacy and make my quiet time, my personal time of worship, part of the formula to get what I want? Because the worship for the Christian who has walked with the Lord for a long time can easily turn into what we do for the Lord for him to give us what we want, if we're not careful. And I say for the Christian who has walked with the Lord for a long time, because honestly, have you ever hung out with someone who just met Jesus? They are losing their minds with joy. And it's so cool because the Lord is just expanding their faith. They are blown away by the goodness of God. And their worship comes naturally because they are face to face with mercy and grace daily, as we should be. Because as Pastor Tom so brilliantly taught us last week, worship is the right response to who Jesus is. But somewhere along the line, we've lost our intimacy. We've lost the face to face reality of who we are looking at because we stopped looking at him. So worship does become the 20 minutes before Pastor Tom speaks each week, or what we play in hospital rooms to calm our nerves, or the subtweet to send to a friend because they really need to hear this. You know that time when you hear a message and you're like, oh, this friend really needs to, they really need to hear this message, so we're gonna send it over to them. It becomes an obligation, or worse, a tactic, and not a natural response to who Jesus is. I'm going to hit you with the same verse Pastor Tom used last week because it paints a beautiful picture of who it is that we are worshiping. This is Colossians 1, 15 through 20. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things held together. And, if, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Another translation says it like this. So spacious is he, so expansive, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in, a, in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, the blood that poured down from the cross. So today we're going to go a little bit deeper into last week's first point, worship is the right response to who Jesus is. One of my good friends and pastors, Pastor Sam Sheriff, once said, if you truly know God, you'll worship God. Know him, be known by him. But how do we get there? How do we do that? We're going to go a little bit deeper today and talk about what intimacy and communion with the Lord practically looks like. So this morning, I don't want you to worry about, again, that friend who you're right now thinking, oh, they really need to hear this right now. Let me send them the stream. I mean, send them the stream. Send them the link. We want people to watch. But we're not going to worry about them. I don't want you to worry about the people you came in with. I don't want you to worry about your kids who are having a time of their lives in kids' church right now. 
right now this morning for the next couple minutes, this is between you and the Lord. Is that cool? Would you pray with me? Lord, we love you. Hmm. Spirit, would you move in this place? Would you have your way in this place? Father, we are here for you to know you better. We don't want to look the same way we came in when we leave, God. We want to look more like you. We want to sound more like you. We want to think more like you. So, Father, we don't have to ask you to come. You're already here. But we do give you permission to move in us this morning. God, would you open our ears to hear what you have to say? Would you open our hearts? Would you open our eyes to maybe see things for the first time that we've been ignoring? We love you. We worship you and you alone. And it's your name that we pray and believe. Amen. I think it might be helpful this morning to get back to the basics of what an intimate relationship with the Lord could look like. And some of us who have been walking with the Lord for most of our lives or for many years, we need to stop complicating things. I need to stop complicating things and get back to the basics. Those of us who have known the Lord for maybe only a couple months or a short time, we need a good foundation of what the basics are. So today is a great equalizer. I don't care if you just met Jesus yesterday or 50 years ago, because none of us will ever arrive with a perfect relationship with Jesus, right? There's so many layers to who he is. We're human, we mess up a lot, but thankfully we serve a God who is crazy about us, who loves us more than anything. Out of all of the things he's created, you are his favorite creation. So maybe that's a word for you, something as simple as you are loved this morning. Last week, I was just in my own quiet time and I was like, all right, Lord, what do you wanna do today? What do you wanna teach me today? And he just said, I love you. And I was like, okay, I know. Like, I get it. He's like, no, I love you. And I was like, okay, I get it. And he's like, no, Abigail. Like, he used my government name. Abigail, I love you. And all of a sudden, I was just overcome with this, like, whoa. Like, he loves all of me. He loves my crazy. <laughs> like, he loves everything about me. So maybe that's you this morning. Maybe if anything you leave with today, it's the fact that you are loved unconditionally for who you are because he made you that way. Spoiler alert. One of the most beautiful acts of worship we have to respond to his love is communion. The word commune means to share an experience together. And isn't that what the blood and the body of Jesus are really about? We're sharing the experience of the cross with Jesus because he wants to share the experience of our lives with us. Communion is Jesus' invitation to share the experience of life with him. Communion means to join together, literally to become one, to reach unity with someone. Communion means never being alone again because we have a God who is with us, Emmanuel, right? He wants us to reach a level of intimacy with him that defies separation. His blood is the glue that holds us together. God never intended communion to be minimized to an event. We celebrate communion together with an event, but communion itself is not an event. Communion is ongoing. It's a way of living. The same way marriage is not an event, but it is celebrated with a yearly anniversary. If the observance of your marriage was reduced to a weekly event where you sip some juice and ate a wafer, your marriage probably wouldn't last long. Am I right? If our intimacy with God is reduced to a monthly or weekly mini meal, our intimacy with Jesus will not last long. 
if the only time you talk to Jesus is on Sunday morning, your intimacy with him will not last long. If the first time you worshiped this week or heard scripture was this morning, friend, your intimacy with him will not last long. The celebration of communion is a, rem is a remembrance, an anniversary of our relationship with Jesus. It is not meant to replace the relationship. I love Paul's enthusiasm for knowing Christ in Philippians 3. It says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I always think of you, Pastor Tom, when you say when I say rubbish. <laughs> what an English thing to say. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through, uh, through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and that I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Communion is literally fellowshipping with Jesus through the sharing of his sufferings. We have fellowship with Jesus through his broken body and his poured out blood. We fellowship or commune with him through his sufferings. We share in the benefits of his body and blood. In other words, intimacy with God was bought at a price. Communion... Our presence at the table constitutes our acceptance of that transaction. A table is not just for eating. It is for fellowship. That's why Jesus confronts the lukewarm and passionless church in Romans 3.20 when he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Lukewarmness, which is indifference to intimacy with him, holds Jesus at arm's length. Jesus did not just give you life so you wouldn't go to hell. He gave you life so that you would come to him. Luke twenty two fifteen, 15, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Earnestly desired to commune with his friends. That's you and me. Jesus wants communion with you. God desires intimacy with his children. Worship responds to God's desire for intimacy by drawing near to him. Intimacy is the desire of God's heart, but for some reason, it's the thing we, we withhold from him the most. And I think it's because intimacy is hard to fake. You were born for intimacy with God. That's literally why you're here. I believe one of the biggest tactics of the enemy is to distract us so much with busyness that we prioritize anything and everything over the very space that will help us cultivate that intimacy. Our own personal time with the Lord, what uh, church people call quiet time, or my favorite, the secret place. Because it sounds a little cool, right? So allow me to explain if you've never heard that term, the secret place. It's where you go to have your time away from the world to dwell in relationship with the Lord, a place of retreat. Matthew 13 says, and he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance, but for the one who has not, he will lose he, even what he has will be taken away. So practically, what does that look like? I want to give you five practical things that you can do to cultivate this time with the Lord. Number one, are you writing it down? Find your place. 
Find an actual physical space. Uh, for me, I love taking walks. I live on a blueberry farm. I still can't believe I live out in the middle of nowhere. It's a, it's a really big blueberry farm, like 26 acres, something wild like that. And there's a ton of just open land. I love taking walks. For some reason, being in nature, I just, that does it for me. Maybe for you, it's just a chair in your living room. Maybe it's a spot in your, in your garden. Maybe it's in the car. Maybe you have a long commute. So for you, dwelling with the Lord, your secret place, your war room might be in your car. That's cool. Matthew 6, 6 says, but when you pray, Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and as honestly as you can manage. We see Jesus doing this all the time. In the midst of the busiest times of his ministry, we still see verses like Mark 1.35 where it says, early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. No matter where he was, he found his place and made time to get to it. He made time to get to his father. Which brings us to number two. Remove distractions. He departed and went out into the desolate place. Also, we see Luke 5.16, Luke 6.12, Matthew 14. The Gospels are filled with times that Jesus modeled the secret place for us. He finished ministering to people, and then he went off by himself to be with his father. He knows the value in temporarily being removed from the chaos of the world, getting alone with the father. So how do we do that? Some ideas off the top of my head. Turn off your phone. If you're about to go into the secret place, leave your phone outside the room. Because you know, as soon as an Instagram notification comes up, you got to see what happened. As soon as somebody texts you, now you're calling, your husband's calling, your wife's calling, it's a mess. Get rid of the phone. What a concept. It's in my back pocket right now. I can't really say much. Um, maybe it's relationships that are distracting you. Maybe there's people that are in your life who are not encouraging you to be doing the right thing. I'm not just speaking to students. I'm not just speaking to kids. Like parents, adults. There are people in your DMs you shouldn't be talking to. There are people at work that you need to make distance from. Who are the people, the relationships that are not helping you create this time? Music, don't get me started. They, they know, I'll go off about an Adele album really quick because I love Adele, she's my girl. But as we listen to Adele, all of a sudden I find myself wanting to get a divorce and I've never been married before because music <laughs> affects us. If I'm at the gym, I'm sorry, I love Bethel, but it's really hard to start lifting to, you know, some Bethel stuff. It really just is. But you've got to figure it out. If there's music that distracts you and puts you in a bad mood, you know you can turn on something while you're driving your car and all of a sudden you're angry and you've got no reason to be angry. But that's the stuff we've got to get rid of. So we're going to remove phones, remove people, some people, remove music. Whatever it is that's distracting you, get rid of it. Matthew 13, 15, for this, for people's hearts have grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear, and their eyes have been closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, I would heal them. I'm going to give you the message translation because to me, this just knocks me off my feet. It says, your ears are open, but you don't hear a thing. Your eyes are awake, but you don't see a thing. The people stick their ears and their, their fingers in their ears so they won't have to listen. They screw their eyes shut so they won't have to look, so they won't have to deal with me face to face and let me heal them. We have a God who's standing in front of you that's just saying, let me heal you. 
We've distracted ourselves so much with the world, tried to find our own ways to get intimacy, our own answers with TikTok University and our friend who dabbles in tarot cards or horoscopes or don't get me started on the Reiki healing. Or more, more recently, maybe what your Enneagram coach on Instagram has to say about your number today. We go to the world for all of these things, but we're missing the God of the universe who's standing in front of us gently saying, here I am, just look up. I have everything you need. Number three, wait on God. Number one was find your place. Number two, remove distractions. Number three, wait on God. We don't want to wait for anything though, right? Listen, I'm from Jersey. We really don't wait for anything. <laughs> you should see the traffic. It's bad. We need to recreate the culture around us and begin to wait on him, meditate on him. Lamentations 3.25, this first part is the ESV version. It says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in the silence when is laid on him. The message translation, 29 through 33 says, when life is heavy and hard to take, go off by yourself, enter the silence, bow in prayer. Don't ask for questions, wait for hope to appear. Don't run from trouble, take it full face. The worst is never the worst. Why? Because the master won't ever walk out and fail to return. If he works severely, he also works tenderly. His stockpiles of loyal love are immense. He takes no pleasure in making life hard, in throwing roadblocks in the way. The more time we sit in his presence, the more he shifts our perspective. The worst is never the worst. But if I don't spend time with him in his presence, it will feel like the worst thing ever. Wait on God, but keep your eyes open. Twice in Mark 13, Jesus tells his disciples to watch and pray. If you're waiting, you remain wide-eyed and attentive. Waiting does not mean sleeping. Waiting is an action, so wait. Keep your eyes open and keep the word in front of you. Here in the secret place, it's where we develop discernment through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's cultivated not from reading your Instagram feed, not from watching an Instagram reel of what Stephen Furtick has to say, but by reading the word for yourself. When you just watch Instagram reels or even recaps of just what Pastor Tom preaches on Sundays, but you're not in the word, you are reading scraps left over from someone else's feast when the Lord has a banquet in front of you. If you read the word for yourself, there is a banquet that you miss out on if all you do is watch videos on Instagram on YouTube. If all you do is come in here on a Sunday morning and just listen to Pastor Tom, trust me, it's brilliant. It's going to be good but it's scraps compared to what he has for you. A lot of us have been praying some pretty big prayers and ask God for a lot of revelation, but we are not in the word. And he might give you an answer to these prayers, but if you don't have the framework for how he's gonna answer these prayers, it becomes your own interpretation, not what the Lord says. You need to be in the word. Number four, submit your thoughts. 
For although we live in the natural realm, natural realm, we don't wage a military campaign employing human weapons, using manipulation to achieve our aims. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. I'm going to read that again. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and breaks through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one and insist that it bow. That's the power you have. Philippians 4, uh, 3 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lonely, lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Submit your thoughts. When negative thoughts and feelings consume you, because they will in the secret place, you replace it with the truth of God's word. So when you're sitting there and you're, and you're thinking, Lord, I just don't think I can make it one day through like this. But wait, I read Philippians 4.13 that says, I can do all things through Christ who give me strength. And now it's, oh, Lord, I need you to provide this. Like, I have too many bills. I can't handle this. Wait, Philippians 4.19 says, my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory of Christ Jesus. Oh, I'm scared. God, I have so much fear. I have so much anxiety. But hold on. I read that 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given me a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of sound mind. Wait, I'm weak. God, I can't make it one more day. Exodus 15, 2 says, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. I have burdens. I can't carry this on my own. First Peter 5, 7 through 8 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Hide his words in your heart, in your spirit, because the enemy is prowling even in the secret place. Another side note, I know sometimes it's really hard when we're trying to do this and you're trying to sit in quiet or trying to sit and, and, and read the word and you feel like you're not getting anything out of it. And you're like, man, I'm spending like 15 minutes just trying to read and I'm just like, I'm bored to be honest. I'm like, I'm Lord, I'm sitting here trying to talk to you, but I'm, I'm distracted, I'm bored. There is no time wasted in the presence of God. And so be encouraged. There will be a time down the road where all of a sudden, just like that, things will start coming to mind. Wait, a couple weeks ago, I did read this verse. Like that's called sowing a seed and then you reap a harvest later. So just be encouraged this morning. If you get bored trying to do the quiet thing, like there is not a moment wasted in his presence. The secret place is like the eye of the storm. While everything is swirling about, we have the ability to find a sanctuary of rest and peace. But this is the paradox, experiencing the storm and peace simultaneously. When I retreat to the secret place, the storm does not stop. When I devote myself to the secret place, the warfare around me is actually accelerated, but it's still the safest place to be found. Hebrews 6, 18 through 19 says, Therefore, we who have fled from, uh, to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Number five, don't fake it. This one's tough. 
Matthew 6, 7 through 8, says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. The other translation, I'm sorry, Pastor Tom. I know you're not a big message fan. The word is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for the nonsense. This is your father you are dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. Be open in front of the Lord. Take off every mask. If you're angry, tell him. If you're frustrated, tell him. If you're mourning, if you're sitting in grief, let him sit with it, sit in it with you. Be open. We don't need to come to the Lord perfect and put together. You can come to him angry, frustrated, messed up, broken. Just come to him. Communion is worship that joins our lives to Christ's life. It was never meant to be an empty ritual. Normally, when we take communion at church, we're handed a cup that has the elements of communion. For us, this is a symbol that represents the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus. For some of us, communion is what we do every month or so after song two in the worship set. We read, we take, we might remember, we move on. But I wanna offer you a different picture that I pray helps you to honor this moment in a new way from here on out. So the next time you as a church do communion together, hopefully this is something that you bring to mind. I'm a big history nerd, so I'm gonna bring you back 1400 years or so. First, communion had been celebrated by Levitical priests for more than 1400 years before Jesus was born. Without knowing why, what the symbols meant, or who their Messiah would be. The priests served communion day after day for centuries in obedience. And I wonder what it was like when we read in the gospels for the disciples to be sitting there at the table as Jesus unveiled the symbols of the tabernacle for the first time in history. What was it like for the disciples to see Jesus break the bread and hear this is my body which I've given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. All these years, the priests had been breaking bread and eating it, thinking that it was called the bread of presence because it was in God's presence. But it was really called the bread of presence because it represented the way into God's presence through the broken body of Jesus. What about when Jesus handed them the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. 1400 years of religious duty and one night Jesus sat down with his friends his disciples and explained its meaning suddenly once was dead religion came to life when Jesus handed them the cups and the bread he wasn't just teaching them the meanings behind the symbols of these ancient rituals that they've always done he was leading them into worship He was teaching the disciples how to have relationship with his father. Intimacy ministers to the heart of God. When we are face to face with a God who prizes relationship with his people so much that he's willing to break his only son to do it, you must make a decision about it. Or in the words of one of my other pastors, Tom J.J. Wood, if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, 
then the only logical response is to follow him with everything. And the natural response will be worship. So I know the outward expression of worship at church can be intimidating. But what I hope you find, like I have, that spending time at the feet of Jesus has this way of making you forget to care about how you're thought of. How people perceive how I worship is of little importance to me now. So I'm gonna pray, and your incredible worship team is gonna lead us back into a time of worship. But I wanna encourage you, maybe spend the first song in his presence. Maybe just stand there, sit at his feet. Allow him to shake off what other people think about you. Worship how you feel led to. So Lord, we love you in this place, God. God, we're so thankful for what you've done by sending your son as a sacrifice for us. God, right now we repent for putting things in front of you. God, all the times we've chosen other things and put them first, Lord, we repent. Anytime we've made our worship, our Bible reading, anything, God, just part of a formula for you to answer our prayers, God, we repent. God, we want to see your face. We want to see you. We want to know you. We want to be known by you. So, Father, as you minister to your children, how crazy is that? That this is supposed to be for you, but somehow you still minister to us. God, I pray that you would give every person in this room who's watching online a new revelation of how much you love them. God, a new revelation of who, how you created them to be, God, their identity in you. God, may we see you, really see you. We love you, Father. It's your name that we pray. Amen.